Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month on motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, well, we've got some true motorcycle stories that were never supposed to be told. Like, get this, Grant Johnson running from the police, Sam Manicom uses his new-to-him F800GS to bend somebody else's sheet metal even before it gets off the center stand and before he ever gets to ride it. Brian Ricks almost loses his shot at the police academy all over a gold bikini top. And Shirley Hardy Ricks discovers she actually was breaking the law by not wearing a helmet. Oh, and Graham Field, well, he ends up sleeping in a field of marijuana. All that coming up and more. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people that have helped Adventure Rider Radio and Raw a lot this past month with support of $50 or more. I want to give a shout out to Edward Fleming, Michael Johnson, Ben Meek, Damon Winter, Ed a guy who rides a Triumph Explorer and a, Har- and a Harley out of New Hampshire as far as his other commitments will let him. Dan Nicely, Jurgen Schnell. Thank you all very much. It's so great to have uh, listeners that appreciate the show and, and do that by showing their support. And we would love to get your support. It doesn't have to be $50. It can be any amount. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Anything $50 or more, get your name on this show, just like you heard me do. We also send out some cool Adventure Rider Radio stickers. But we would love to have you on our monthly patron account uh, as a monthly supporter. And there's some perks in there. Drop by the website. Have a look at that. Anyway, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for July 2020. This is episode 54. A chance to wake up. <laughs> Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Brian Ricks and Shirley Hardy Ricks, who are up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in Australia. Good morning. <clears throat> Yes, well, we're up, Jim. I think that's about as far as we can go. We're not in bed. Oh, my God, it's early. <laughs> Did he just sit up? Yeah. And and don't ask us what sort of day it is because it's not day. It's pitch black night. So we have no idea what sort of day it's going to be yet. But good morning. This is one of those rare times where we start the show and Brian hasn't been out riding already. <laughs> no, that's very true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But preparing for a ride this afternoon. That's okay. Ah, there you go. And over in Bulgaria, we have Graham Field, who is also bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Graham, good morning. Just, yeah. Evening, Jim. It's evening. Good morning. Um, (laughs) It's evening, Jim. I just, um, I I got, I'm only just in Bulgaria. I've just spent the last week uh, riding back from the UK. I was in the UK for the virtual book launch and bought an old, Oh, 1978 uh, Triumph Tiger, which is basically a, a body with a single carb, and uh, just spent five days riding it back here while camping. And I got back in the house the early hours of this morning, and then and now I've got quarantine for two weeks, and and now it's the same day, which seems crazy. And now I'm doing this, so I'm a little bit disorientated. And while camping was just brilliant i just uh, i found some really cool places to stop so i've been really nomadic and now uh, and the, the main one of the reasons was you know since i, I started writing this book in january it just occurred to me there's been too much computer time and the flights back were really expensive so i jumped on the bike and rode back which is probably cheaper than flying 
and you and didn't Facebook it? I've been off of Facebook. No, that's I didn't need to charge phones. I didn't need to use data. I didn't need to find Wi-Fi. I just rode and I wild camped, and it's wonderful. It was just brilliant. And now, now I'm back in front of a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> but now you you said you were disoriented. That's probably from your lack of connection with the outside world. But I, I have to ask about this book launch, a virtual book launch. Doesn't it sound kind of like an oxymoron to have to go somewhere for a virtual book launch? Well, I did consider trying to do it remotely, and uh, but it, me and my mum, my mum was just brilliant. We were, we were just sending out books, printing out postage notes, sorting out the t-shirts, sorting out the box sets, and it was intense. It was so difficult, and uh, it, it was like working in a factory, like a production line. And, and every day we go to the post office with bags of books. So it was, it, it definitely needed to, and the alternative was to try and get the books sent here and then the t-shirts and stuff would have had to be dis, uh, dispatched from the UK. It was too cold. I absolutely made the right decision to go back to the UK. Plus I spent three weeks doing work around my mum's house. So it wasn't a holiday. It was absolutely work. My little Bulgarian dream tranquil existence just didn't seem real, but I'm back in it now. And um, nothing seems real at the moment. <laughs> so, so it sounds like your mum was slacking it. You had to get in there and help her to do the work. So that's, that's not really working out. Really, yeah, I'm very quick to, to say you did that wrong. But actually, she was she was really big help, really big help, really good. We had a system down. She'd be putting in sans flyers and and eventually radio flyers, and right. putting in stickers and Horizon Unlimited stickers. And I was signing the books, and she was sticking on the postage labels and we just had this system down it was really good wow that's nice that's sort of a bonding moment too well, well let's bring in sam manicom sam in the uk what is it for you sam i don't know morning night it's early evening and it's a very nice evening um it's slightly gray outside but actually it's been a really lovely day today so yeah it's um, all's good here um yeah hi everybody very nice and of course grant johnson who is in british columbia canada grant yeah, I'm doing fine. It's actually noon here, which is such a nice change from starting at nine o'clock at night and then ending up past my bedtime since nine thirty ten's bedtime here. And Susan gets up at a stupidly early hour. It's just ridiculous. She was up at four thirty this morning. I, no accounting. Grant, what needs accounting that early? Now, <laughs> she, she doesn't that. do accounting, though. Oh, right. <laughs> she's privacy and security for a university. Oh, but, so she's uh, raiding somebody's you... apartment or something that early in the morning. Oh, no, no. She tell, just <laughs> advises people on how things should be for privacy. Make sure you don't share that information. Oh, I, I, I somehow pictured her all dressed up in camo gear, you know, with the <laughs> <laughs> booting somebody's like door that, down. Actually. That'd be su- such fun. <laughs> Jim, your imagination is working full bore. Excellent. <laughs> well, yep. that's because it's nice and warm where I am. It's about, uh, I don't know what it is, 36, 38 degrees or something like that. What? We nice. haven't gone past 22 for a month. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. It's cold and miserable and it's been really good riding weather, though. I've been out a couple of times on the new DRZ 400, and the weather's been absolutely perfect for riding. Kind of cloudy, 20 degrees, 21 degrees, which is just excellent. But if you want to get out and go for a walk or sit on the deck or anything like that, it's miserable and cold and ugly. And we used to have breakfast on the deck in, in the morning. Now it's 16 degrees. No way. Are so, you talking Fahrenheit or centigrade? Centigrade. 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 22. Oh, okay. Right. Because it's 22 here now. That's, yeah. that's quite warm. 
That's all right, isn't it? That's not bad. Yeah, it's a nice temperature, but when when it's 16, it's not. Oh, yeah, 16 isn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Jim's got 32. Well, uh, today's so today's going to be 14 here, and I'm going for a ride. <laughs> yep. Well, you're a hard man, like all those Aussies. <laughs> You've got your winter tires on your bike, I assume? He's studied no, no. <laughs> I, I just want to know how Graham went riding a 1969 Triumph Tiger across Europe. No, 78. Oh, 78. Oh, that's a bit different then. That's a bit yeah. different, 78. Yeah, so he wouldn't be using as much oil. And, um, um, I, yeah, and electrical problems. The, the no, Prince of Darkness, Luke, Lucas didn't jump in there. The Prince of Darkness. No, um, it was it's uh, it was sixteen hundred miles. I used seven hundred milliliters of oil, so really low on the oil consumption. I was only doing between eighty and ninety kilometers an hour, really taking it easy, all back roads. And um, there's this dilemma when you cross into Bulgaria, and it's four hours back to my house. Well, you don't want to get a hotel when you're four hours from home, but also I don't want to ride at night, so I ended up riding at night. And it was really bloody cold. Put on my waterproof just to try and stop the wind. And uh, then there was this diversion. I was stuck behind this Mercedes 4x4 who was doing about 20 miles an hour around these little country lanes. And I can't go in front of him because my headlight is aiming about two metres in front of me, so I can't overtake him. And he's got Sophia number plates right from the city, so he doesn't know where his high beams are. And eventually, after about 25 minutes, he discovers his high beams and speeds up a little bit. Then a car comes the other way, flashes him, so he puts his low beams down, puts his low beams on, and then forgets to put them back on again. It's just a few, right? So, yeah, those electrics are fine. Oil consumption was fine. Uh, it didn't get wet. It was, and uh, had some great. I, I don't want to dominate the whole thing, but I haven't really spoken to anybody for four days. I just like, da, 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 da. Okay. But, um, I uh, so wild camped. I was in, I don't know where I was, hungry. And I, oh, oh, yeah, so I stopped at this hotel, and, um, <laughs> and I said, um, are you, have you got a room? And she, she didn't, she looked all blank. I said, a room? I said, are you open? And I said, a bed? And I made the, like, you know, the hands by your ear, sleep thing. I said, a bed for tonight? And she said, do you speak English? So anyway, so I said, can I, so she wrote down 25 euros, not too bad, but a two looked like a one, so 15 euros, quite good. So I said, can I see it? Can I see it? Can I look? I'm pointing at my eyes. Can I look? So she has me fill in this form, which I didn't think was that weird, because in Germany, whether you go to a bar or a restaurant or anything, you have to fill in a form when you go in with your name, address, phone number, so that if someone else, else gets the virus, they can get in touch with you. So I thought, oh, it's probably the same thing in this country. So I filled in this form, bad handwriting. And she looks at it and she goes, oh. and I said, well, can I just see the room? <laughs> and, I said, and, she's, and she's, again, got this blank look. And I said, oh, you know what, don't bother. So I didn't, so I walked out of there. And then I went over this railway bridge and I saw this little track. And I thought, not a railway track, like a little track. And I thought, I can go down there. So I rode off down there and these this deer and these two little baby deer thorns, are they called? Deerlets, wherever they are. Little deer went bouncing out of the way. I thought, that's nice. And then there were these hares. And then there was this stalk. I thought, oh, this is great. So I just rode into this field and I stopped there and I could sort of see the road, but I was a long way away. And uh, I stopped. I said, smell. And I'm stopped in a hemp field. 
Good man. <laughs> so as the sun set, I'm surrounded by shadows of marijuana plants. So uh, it was, it was uh, had a really good trip. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> if you're going to be breathing in sap from that and, and so on all night, then you probably didn't have a very good trip. It was. It got cold in the night. I buried my head in my sleeping bag, and when I, I took it out, I thought it was light. And I looked; it was getting light. And so I got out. It's about five o'clock in the morning. The sun's just coming up. Packed up my dewy tent, put it in, and started up the bike and, uh, and obnoxiously left and uh, back on the road. So, but then nice. the bloody restaurants are open because of the coronavirus. So I was really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. So when <laughs> you got back, Ram, did, did someone tell you you're quarantined? Like, did you actually get officially stopped, or is it just something you're doing because no. you really have to? Because um, when I came through the Bulgarian border, I had to fill in a little form. I said, where have you come from? Well, Romania. I'm on the Bulgarian-Romania border. Where do you think I came from? <laughs> and um, so, so technically, because I've come from the UK, I should quarantine for two weeks, which I have, but I haven't been in the UK for a week. So I mean, when they say, where did you come from? I mean, they need to be more specific. Where did I come from? My mother's womb. That's where I came from. So, but, you know, do I need to quarantine? <laughs> well, I, that's going to get you a long way at a border crossing. <laughs> I could just imagine the scene, Graham. Oh dear, I want to cross borders with you because this is going to be total entertainment. <laughs> so no, I don't have to do it, but I'm I'm, I'm going to because um, it's a very small village, and if I'm seen out, there'll be people pointing fingers, uh, and it's fine. My lawn has turned into a jungle. It's going to take me two weeks to get that under control. So uh, yes, yeah, so I'm officially quarantined now. I'm I'm stuck in my my little Bulgarian dream, and that's can't be anywhere better. Stuck anywhere better. The only difference is knowing I can't leave if I want to. When usually I have to leave, and I don't want to. <laughs> So you're quarantined not so much for your obligation to your fellow citizens. It's more because you're worried about people surrounding your house with pitchforks and torches because they've seen you on the street and they know you've been out of the village. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to say. That's happening here. That's happening here too, Graham, because um, we're, we're in Victoria and uh, Victoria's borders have been shut to New South Wales and South Australia, Tasmania, everywhere because of an outbreak in Melbourne and they've um, actually put a ring around Melbourne um, with roadblocks and uh, one of the other little shires. Uh, so basically they've quarantined about five and a half million people not to move outside of the Melbourne metro area. And um, so I can still go riding because we're in the country, but um, things are uh, getting pretty serious here as far as we're concerned. I mean, we've got no, no, we need the figures like they have in the US and places like that. But um, I think we've recorded, what they say, uh, 26 deaths, really? So, <coughs> yeah. 26 deaths and uh, about 1,600 people infected in Victoria, and they just shut the, shut the place down. So, wow. um, yeah, but that's how we're keeping it under control. Uh, Northern Territory, WA, Tassie have had no, and South Australia, no infections. Queensland, no infections. New South Wales and Victoria, yes, we're getting infections. And we get, it seems to be what they've been worried about, which is the second wave. Right. If, if during the pandemic, we were getting maybe 60, 70 positive tests a day. We're getting 250, 280 a day now. So they are quite concerned. But we're in the country, so it's okay. How do the Melbournies feel about that being quarantined, being held siege almost? 
Warning Roy Cumbus night fifth, sure. Sorry, sure, go. Well, most of them have been okay, really, <laughs> apart from the ones that Brian says are whining like a humber snipe diff, but um, <laughs> what, sorry, what, no whining like what? Themselves. Humber snipe diff. Do you, can you uh, define yes. all those Seth words? would know what a humber snipe is, and uh, oh, they're an old, old English car, and they used to have this great big whine coming out of the rear differential. So um, if you're whining, you're whining like a humber snipe diff in Australia. Uh, so it's straight cut gears or something? Oh, I couldn't tell you, mate. I haven't d- uh, dug into them that deep, but I know they make a hell of a noise. Oh, you, you're talking about the 1960s, late 50s, early 60s. Mm. So uh, I dare say you're straight cut. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so we can still ride around here, but um, uh, we've got friends who have been – looked at strangely if uh, they're away in New South Wales uh, with a, a Victorian registered car. And uh, there's been a bit of that going on. So um, everyone's a little bit scared, but, you know, it is what it is. That's the thing I had. Instead of having my bright orange number plate, which screams I'm from the UK, I got a black and silver classic car one, which my bike is almost eligible for, which could be Lichtenstein. It was just a little bit more anonymous when I was riding through Europe, yeah. so low profile. Yeah. But, but, mate, you're doing the right thing by um, quarantining. Um, yeah. you know, you've got to try and stop this, this spread if we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't have it, but I'm not 100% sure um, because, you know, I was on a ferry across the, you know, the channel, although I was wearing a mask. Everyone was supposed to wear a mask, but not many people did. And uh, so, I mean, I think it's highly unlikely I have. Oh, there was one bit, I think I was in the Czech Republic of Hungary, I can't remember, and I was going through a town because I did back roads. And at the traffic lights, there was this long hold-up, and there was a cop, one cop, and he had one of those laser temperature measuring devices. Mm. And he was walking oh, up yeah, the yeah. traffic, and he was randomly making people wind down their window and lasering him in the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> And he was holding up just, the traffic, just getting hotter and hotter. Thinking, oh, God, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. It gets you and your temperature's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, it is bizarre. I mean, they, they've got to, mandatory masks here as well. And um, they, they sort of uh, just brought it in, I guess, in the last week or so. And we go out and uh, we happen to be in a, a store and you see, well, people are wearing masks. But I, but I feel like saying to some of them, like, hang on, that, that mask is supposed to go up over your nose as well. Like... You know, just oh, no, you yeah. can't catch it through your nose, Jim, or your mouth. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. if you wear glasses. <laughs> Grant, you have been. Um, spent, you were mentioning you've been out riding your your four hundred there, getting some yeah. um, some ride time. What are you doing when you're out riding? Are you are you looking for stuff for next year? Not yet. Um, for the for the hum you're talking about. Yeah, that's. A, I was wondering if that's what you're doing. No, no, that's uh, three hours drive away from here just to get to the beginning of it. So it's a, it's a week-long expedition we'll be doing, but we are looking towards doing that. Right now, I'm just getting the bike bedded in and getting me bedded in. Mm. And I'm not sure which is requiring more effort. <clears throat> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Keyboard warrior here. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly muscle tone goes, isn't it? Oh, shocking. And I, I've actually got a couple of blisters. Blisters? That's horrible. Blisters. On, on your, yeah. your throttle hand? Uh, actually on the throttle hand and yeah, there's a little one trying on the clutch hand too. Oh, you've it's gotten very soft. Very soft. Very soft. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, on, I, mean, I, I got day. in like half a dozen rides last year total. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely not in riding shape. 
And of course, the, the, there's a bit of an issue with the bike in that the suspension is just way too harsh. It's, it's pounding me to bits on the rough stuff. So that doesn't help either. And the grip, somebody put on, I, I won't name the brand, but there's a brand of handlebar out there that also makes grips. And these, they're that kind of handlebar and their grips. How anybody can hang on to that grip, I can not understand. It is the hardest, nastiest, sharpest, most unpleasant grip I've ever had in my life. So today, new, cool, soft grips arrived. Yes. Wow. I can't wait. But wow. uh, I'm not getting the suspension sorted out on Thursday. And the rest of the bike's working pretty good. We had the last ride out was, was good fun. We had a couple of guys chasing us, actually. So, of course, we couldn't let them catch us. <laughs> No wow. comment for How old are you now, Grant? <laughs> <clears throat> Not too old to have a big grin on his face when he was saying that, I'll bet. Oh, yeah. Big grin. <laughs> yeah, we had fun. <laughs> it was interesting. We ended up talking to the guys briefly, and it was a couple of Europeans over here on uh, borrowed bikes, and they were having a good time, too. So it was all good. Hmm. Well, we're talking about uh, to kick things off in a light way. Your first ride, and and how did you get into riding? Um, all of those types of things. What, what did you first ride, Grant? A bicycle. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking <laughs> motorized. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I would say I would well, say a pony at that point, or maybe a horse. But we're talking uh, bikes. No, it was a bicycle. It was the first thing I rode. Then I rode a pony, and then I got a motorcycle. That's right. <laughs> um, no, I bought a two fifty Ducati Scrambler in nineteen sixty five. Slightly used. It was a sixty four. Um, and I, I saw this guy on, uh, that lived in the little apartment complex we were living in and he had a Harley Sportster and I thought that was so cool and it just looked like so much fun. And wow, look, he just turns the throttle and he's gone instead of pedal, 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 pedal. And I'm still going, but I'm not gone yet. So I thought this sounds like good fun and talking to a couple of friends about it and one of them said, yeah, I heard about these Ducatis. They're really cool. Great bikes, really fast, and small and cheap. Well, relatively cheap for the time. Um, so I did a little research and actually found one that a guy had bought to go road racing with. Now, anybody that knows Ducatis knows that there's a Ducati Scrambler and there's a Ducati Diana and a Ducati Elite. And the Diana and Elite are great race road racers, but Scrambler for road racing? Anyway, this idiot bought it for road racing and then decided it just wasn't quite the right bike. So I ended up getting it at a pretty good deal. And that's what I started riding on. Wow. The hardest part was getting the blankety-blank thing started. <laughs> anybody that course. knows anything about technical, oh, of course it's kickstart. Anything that knows anybody about the, the being fairly technical, it had a fixed advance. There's none of the centrifugal advance stuff. So you've got a low advance when you first start it, and then it spins up and it, it advances. This was fixed at full advance. So when you kicked it, if you didn't have your kicking technique down perfect, it would kick back. And it literally launched me over the handlebars many times until I figured it out. It, and I swear my right knee is still bad from it. So. It's a Ducati knee. <laughs> now, yes, yeah, what, what you're talking about when you're talking about advance, you're talking about spark advance, being that yes. um, if in a normal engine nowadays, of course, it's all done by computer. You start up your bike, the spark is what's called retarded, and then it advances it as you accelerate. Exactly. But um, you're saying that one was, was actually fixed. Fixed advance, yes. Wow. And you want to know how dumb I was? I finally ended up getting another bike, which was another Ducati, the street model. And it had a manual, or sorry, not manual, I'm saying it had an automatic advance on it. Do I put it on? 
No, because it's slower if you put the automatic advance on it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> There's no difference. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was trying to make it go faster. I was, I did all kinds of things to that bike to make it go faster. But that was yep. your first two wheels. You, you didn't start out on a mini bike or anything like that or somebody nope. else's bike? No, nope, nothing. I learned to ride on a Ducati Scrambler. Wow. That was it. Never been on another bike. Never on a back. Nothing. That was it. God, the guy I just have this delivered my bike for me, and that was it. <laughs> I just have this wonderful image of you hurtling over the handlebars, getting kicked back from that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I have this very unwonderful <laughs> image. Yeah, I bet. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It, it was just so hard to start. If you got it perfect, it would start first kick. But if you didn't really put every single thing you had into it, nope, bang, right over the bars. It's ferocious. But anyway, it was an experience. I learned. I can now kickstart just about anything. I remember wow. teaching some people how to kickstart a uh, BMW, you know, the BMW Airheads. A lot of people can't kickstart them. And there was this guy came to our first rally in uh, the UK and said, you know, I'm trying to kickstart my BMW. Well, yeah, it's... This is how you do it. And I showed him how to do it. Bang. Started his bike instantly. And I explained what you got to do. You got to get up, push it through until you're just onto compression and then make sure you're at the top and then give it a short snap. You can't just push it. You got to snap it. And he pushed and pushed and pushed and tried and tried and tried and tried. Never did get it started. So uh, You'd be <laughs> impressed with Grant, with Birgit Grant, because it took her, I don't know, eight weeks um, to learn how um, to start her R60 slash 5. And from that time onwards, she almost never used the electronic ignition. She always kick-started it. And right. she, on it was really nice watching the expression on people's faces when she did it first <laughs> pop. Yes, and especially her size too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Birgit had to jump on the kickstart, both, you know, full body weight. Yes. Um, so sometimes the bike was a little bit wobbly when she was doing it, but uh, she always got it going. <laughs> Good for her. That's 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 terrific. And it's all technique. That just shows you. Yeah. It's all yeah. technique. How about so, you, Sam? Anyway, well, kickstarting. No, uh, your, <laughs> first, <laughs> your first How bike. Do you feel on your one hundred. <laughs> uh, my first motorcycle was um, a Kawasaki KDX one two five. Um, and that came about because I drank too much beer one night, and during that um, the, the session, I just fell in love with the idea of riding a motorcycle the length of Africa. So the next morning I went, um, well, the next lunch break, I went and bought one. Um, and yeah, KDX125, brilliant thing this was. Um, I bought it from a, a little um, motorcycle shop just around the corner um, from the shop where I was working in um, St. Helier, uh, Jersey and the Channel Islands. And I walked in there and I didn't have a clue what I was going to get. Um, didn't know anything about motorcycles except for that they had engines and two wheels and they looked bloody marvellous. Um, and the guys in this shop took care of me and um, when they said, when they heard that I didn't know how to ride a bike or anything, they guided me towards this 125cc um, KDX and it just looked magnificent and I fell in love with this thing straight away. Um, and I scared myself silly on it. Um, Repeatedly, and the first time I scared myself silly was after I just had my first lesson, which was to learn how to change gear. Um, and going home on it, um, I opened the throttle a little bit hard at traffic lights, and that's the first and only wheelie I've ever done. I was so impressed with myself when I managed to stay upright, and I've never forgotten the expression on the car driver's face next door to me because 
big wide eyes turned towards me and I'm thinking, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking this guy can ride. Look at this guy. <laughs> no, if you look that closely, you saw my eyes are really wide too. And no. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots no, of videos pretty- on the internet, isn't there, of that, the whiskey throttle move. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, it was, a, it was a great little bike. So how long did you ride that before you got your other bike? Six weeks. Because how many bikes have you had? Sorry, Sam, how many bikes have you had now? Um, three. Oh, you've had three. So you got you had the KDX, and then what'd you go to? To um, Libby, my R80GS. And of course, oh. a year ago, I bought the F800 oh, right. um, GS. Right, I forgot about that. So you, you actually, like, I was thinking two bikes, really, is what I was thinking, but I forgot about the F800. Yeah, mm. so your KDX and, and then your R80. Yeah, I was mad going straight from that little 125 onto the 800. But um, yeah, well, you just get on with it, don't you? Think positive, it works. Mm. Yeah, I just got this image in my mind of me pulling that wheelie. I'm sure I look cool. I probably didn't, but I'm sure in my mind I did. <laughs> Graham, um, well, there were there were quite a few before I was old enough to have a license, and um, it was funny because when I was at my mum's, she had an ask week, she had a, a photograph that was just laying on uh, on the sideboard because I had this. It was a Yamaha, I think it was a DT175 or a 185 two-stroke, which I bought from a scrap dealer. And I used to take it down the beach and ride it. And this must have been, I was probably about 15, something like that. And uh, there's a photograph of her and her friends all in bikinis on the beach. This would have been uh, probably about, yeah, probably about 1980s, early 80s. And... Um, and I've got my, the, the DTs in the background. <laughs> I'm not in the background because I must have been taking the photo. Um, and it didn't, and the, what would happen, I'd drive it along the beach and um, it would just die. And the reason it would die was because the spark plug would pop out the head because I didn't even have a spark plug spanner and I could only tighten it by hand. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, that was the first one. But the, the first one that I lit, and there was a few others sort of before, you know, I had a license. But when I got a license, I bought, there, there were two schools. There were the people who bought the, the Yamaha 50, the Fizzy, which is the FS1E, uh, which were two strokes. And then there were the people who bought the Honda SS50s, which were four strokes. And the people who bought the four they were slower. They were slower acceleration. They were just generally slower bikes. But you were into the four-stroke league. And those people who, who cut their teeth on the SS50s tended to stick with biking Whereas the people who had the fizzes, it was just a stopgap until the next year when they were old enough to get a car license. Then they went to cars and they never went to bike, went back to bikes. So, yeah, I kind of went for the other, and it's funny because you occasionally see them now in the little classic restored section of bike shows. And they're really long, but they're really narrow and skinny. And at the time, it seemed so big. And, and they're nothing. You can pick them up. So, yeah, the SS50 was the... And so I bought this SS50 and... Um, my dad did not want me to have my own bike, no way. But I'd, uh, but you know, I wasn't old enough to car license. We lived in the country, and it was I was old enough to have transport, so I got it. And so this road that I knew, like the back of my hand from riding my bicycle down for the last seven or eight years, I got my little SS50, and I go around the first corner. As I'm going around the second corner, which is phone box corner, um, it's going quite fast, you know, compared to a bicycle. And I didn't really understand the concept of leaning. I just went straight in the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> which is not all that uncommon it's an, that's an accident you see a lot it's a single yeah, single vehicle yeah, I haven't accident. quite got the knack of that one <laughs> <laughs> I think counter steering might be something to look into here 
Graham, what was the first um, longish ride that you did on that? On the SS50? Mm. Um, I don't know. God, I don't know if there were longish rides. It didn't stay long. Then I got Kawasaki Z250, which I used to go at bike shows, bike rallies. And they were a bit longer. I can't remember. I mean, I go into Colchester. That would be like a 12-mile ride. and take about half an hour. It was only vaguely quicker than the bicycle was. So it, it wasn't it wasn't a thing for distance. It was it was good to walk around town carrying a crash helmet. Oh yeah, yeah, I've got a bike. Yeah, I've got a crash helmet. <laughs> <laughs> now the reason I asked that was because while you were talking, a, a, a memory pops into my mind. Um, you know, I was living on Jersey, and this is a tiny little island. The speed limit's forty miles an hour um, in some places. And I thought, well, if you're going to um, ride this bike, um, your a motorcycle, the length of Africa, then you've got to get off the island and ride a little bit at least. So I, I bought myself um, a couple of um, shoulder bags from a cheapy shop um, in the town and uh, some webbing and made myself some panniers. And I stuck them on this um, little KDX and set off on the ferry to go across to mainland England. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing, uh, just hanging on the back of the bike and feeling very much a fraud. And then other motorcyclists started waving at me. And this is one of the finest experiences. And I wonder if I hadn't had all those waves, would I would, whether I would have carried on um, to, you know, to ride a bike so much. Because all of a sudden, those other motorcyclists waving at me made me feel as if I was part of something special, even if I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I stopped feeling such a fraud, which was just such a fine feeling. Waving's brilliant, isn't it? Do you guys all yeah. wave? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I, 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 think it's, I, think it must, uh, I think it's gone out of fashion. The amount of people I saw on bikes this, this trip, and, and they didn't wave. Big old bikes with their panniers coming on. And in the end, I stopped initiating it because I was just waving and getting blanked. So, yeah, I think, I think waving's been um, put on hold for 2020 in, in the Europe or something. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's sort of happening here too. But, but for the most part, people are, are pretty friendly, I think. People do still wave here. Yeah, I was noticing that when I've been out the last couple of times on the Squamish Highway. I'm on a DRZ 400 dirt bike and sports bike goes by and they wave. Harleys go by and they wave. Goldwing goes by and they wave. You know, nice. Most people wave. Yeah. I, was, I was surprised that it was definitely 90% were waving. Fantastic. I find that more people when I've been riding in the States are waving um, than they are in the UK for some reason. So maybe that's what you're picking up on, Graham. It's a European thing that's dying out. I don't know. I was really disappointed with it, you know, because I like it. It's good. It's single people waving, but a second there's two bikes or a little group, uh, they were just too damn cool to ride. It's like, listen, I just happened to be on the coolest bike that was ever made on the planet. So, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, how about you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm with Greg. I reckon you start riding when you ride a push bike. I used yeah. to ride three miles to school on a push bike. And, you know, I think you dream of riding a motorbike when you're riding a push bike. Well, my, uh, myself and my best friend, Brett, used to ride three miles to school. And, you know, you, you used to get pegs and bits of cardboard and put on the back wheel to make that motorbike noise. Did all that. But I've got to say, you dream about riding bikes. And I don't know about you guys, but I had um, that big poster of Easy Rider, the two bikes, Captain America and um, <laughs> cruising on the highway. That was on my bedroom wall. That's what I dreamed of. I'd get the motorcycle magazine, two wheels, it was here in Australia, and um, just go through that cover to cover 
read the classifieds uh, day in, day out, looking for a motorbike. And uh, because I lived on a farm, I, I, I picked oranges for Dad and got paid for that. And I saved up my coin. And um, one day I went in uh, with Dad. Uh, I was 12. Well, my, well, my first riding experience was actually with uh, my good friend Brett. We uh, uh, borrowed his um, father's uh, cub, Honda Cub, the ubiquitous little cub, and um, screamed down um, a road on that. And that sort of melded into my mind that I had to have a motorbike. So my first bike was a little Yamaha LT100 two-stroke that I spent, I think it was 180 or $200, and that would have been in 1968. And um, that was my first bike that I rode everywhere uh, in the bush with all my mates on their four-stroke old matchless and panthers and triumphs and things like that. Somehow or other, my little two-stroke would always outlast them, would never break down, and just kept going and going and going. So that was my first bike. And I think I've told you the story about um, uh, riding in my backyard. It was 90 miles of uh, river frontage. Uh, we'd go away, pack a, a swag on the back of the bikes and go away and camp in the bush for a night and come home. Did all that. But eventually I hold the piston in that, chasing sheep around on the station. And um, my first road bike, and I got that when I was at the earliest age, uh, 17 and nine months, was a Honda CB350 twin. Do you remember the, those? A great little bike. Yeah, yeah they're great. Super bike. reliable. Oh, yeah. The, well, there's scarce as hen's teeth now. Everyone over here is um, doing them up for racing. And I'd love to get hold of one again and um, and uh, do it up because they're a fantastic little thing. would rev out to 9,200 RPM. But, it, but to get that bike... I had to um, – I, I actually went out stripping wheat, um, driving headers and all that sort of stuff to save up the money. And um, I, I said to mum and dad I was going to buy a motorbike. Dad came home, and Australians relate to this, with an EH Holden he'd got from the local Holden dealer and said, son, if you don't, if, if you don't get a motorbike, you can have this car. It's car's yours. And I said to him, dad, take it back. I don't want it. No, I was, I, I, no, so I had to go, and I had to go and um, um, earn my own money to get my motorbike. So the CB three fifty was my first one, and um, that was great. And as I said, I got it at seventeen and nine months, and um, kept it um, for uh, as long as you could go. And, I, and until I moved on to seven fifty Honda. There you go. Mm. When did you get your car license? Uh, the, the day after my 18th birthday, which is the earliest you could get it, and uh, living in a country town, the local copper knew all the, all the boys, and he knew that we used to ride um, um, down on the uh, what was called the common, and uh, we were allowed to, he would let us all ride our motorbikes down around there, um, as long as we didn't ride on the road. And so, and we did that, you know, we, we looked after ourselves. So when I went to get my motorcycle license, he said, I know you, young Brian. Um, you, I know you can ride. I haven't been down there and picked you up from an accident. So, uh, yep, there you go. There's your license. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <well, that's- laughs> and um, and uh, he said he walked out the front of the police station and, it's a, and we had to ride 50 yards roughly to the stop sign. 
cross over the uh, the road, uh, over the main road, go down to the pub, which was about another 200 yards away, turn around and come back. And if I've made it, I've got my licence. So, so that was my driving test. I thought you were going to say you'd wow. have to stop at the pub and drink a pint and then ride back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd had a bit of experience. In those days, you, know, you could get a um, – when you went out stripping wheat, uh, if you were 16 years of age, you could get a provisionary licence to drive a truck, a wheat truck, from the paddocks to the wheat silo and back. So at 16 years of age, I had a truck licence so to speak, before I actually had a car license. Yeah, some provinces here allow them at 14 years old. Or at least they did. I don't know if they've changed that. Brian, what's stripping wheat? Uh, 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 um, uh, Harvesting wheat. You you, you see these big um, harvesters that they drive now, which are all GPS controlled and all the rest of it. No, this was one that you towed on on an angle behind a Chamberlain A9 tractor and um, open tractor working in um, – I, I had a thermometer in the, in, the, in the tractor which just had a canopy over the top, no enclosed cabin, and it hit 132 degrees Fahrenheit wow. a day. Wow. And, you, you know, it's just stinking hot and you'd have to stop every two hours and grease all the joints on the harvester. Um, and you'd have to manually drop the drum down so you didn't bend the tines, all that sort of stuff. It was a, it was a great experience on mechanics and how to be gentle on machinery, actually. Mm. And that, yeah, you oh, just a funny story. <laughs> well, well, that's right. You did. You had to fix it. And um, funny little story. I, I'd loaded the um, the truck up in the paddock with wheat, um, and uh, I was driving. I just finished. I drove the tractor out of the, the paddock with the harvester and I walked back and got in the truck and I'm driving across the paddock and I'm thinking, oh, what's that smell? And the old um, old Bedford had um, a drum break on the, the differential and I'd forgotten to take it off and of course it was getting hot and the, wet, uh, the, the paddock is all dry stalks by this stage and it caught on fire. I've driven it out of the paddock. You just watch it burn because they burn off the stubble anyway. You just watched it burn. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my upbringing. That's how I, I got into motorbikes. Wow. That's a, that's a good story. <laughs> so you, you've never had to take a, a, a riding test, obviously, because you get your license. That is a far um, cry from or a far distance from what they do nowadays to um, to get their licenses. My son's just going through to get his license still, I should say to get his motorcycle license. He has to do another test now. He's already done two tests. He's got to do another test now. And that's not even his last. I think he has to do at least another one after this. Really? My test when I was 16 here in BC was the same as Brian's. You know, stop here, do a U-turn, go around the block. And if you make it, there's your license. That was it. Yeah, my license was really straightforward as well. I've got a friend here, Tim, and I, I do a ride uh, once a week with um, a group of people here. And uh, there's a lot of uh, – Tim's one of the newer riders. He's had his L plates. He's been riding with me and all my old mates. And um, he's been through that, and it takes ages. Mm-hmm. We've got to go through, oh, it's about 18 months of testing and retesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's um, – in a way, it's a good thing. 
but it's great in another way, it, 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 it stops people getting on bikes too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's almost it's, a deterrent, isn't it? Because it, it is so difficult to get. And then you've got to get your car license as well. And and, and that's what my son is is dealing with. Is I mean, he's going to get the bike license because he's really gung-ho about it. But I think for a lot of people, you know, if if it's just too much work, well, maybe put the work into getting the car license and, and call it a day. Well, call it a couple of years. It's really it's, expensive no, in the UK to do this, to go through the system as well. A lot of youngsters can't afford it because of all the different layers that you have to pay for. Mm. Yeah, too many. I know in yeah, Japan, they go through, you start off with a little bike and then you get, after you've been riding for six months or a year, you can get a bigger bike. And it's, it's like five stages or something to get just to a 750. And it's really expensive. We're talking thousands of dollars. Wow. But what you end up with at the end of it is somebody who really wants to ride and is actually good and safe. And there's an advantage to that. I'd rather not have basically, well, I can think of one guy in particular from way back in my early days, basically idiots who really shouldn't be riding, um, aren't safe, never will be safe. They just don't have the right attitude. Um, but they can get a license because it's dead easy and they're going to get out there and either get themselves killed or kill somebody else. So I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't be too easy. Motorcycling is not the safest thing you can possibly do for sure. So some moderation is a good thing. Yeah, maybe. I, I know that when I was younger and yeah. I got my license, obviously it wasn't near, I mean, it was a single, uh, you get it, your learners and then you got your license after that. Um, but it is, you, we didn't have people doing what you see done, you know, if you look on YouTube and see people doing wheelies or, or all the crazy stunts that they do on the road. Yeah. You didn't have that oh, back yes, then. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, I, I never saw that. <laughs> I remember. Well, you weren't a naughty boy, were you? <laughs> Who, me? No, I, I remember as I was a dealer in 72 and a um, kid came in with his grandmother and wanted to buy a 750 Suzuki, which, you know, the big water cooled. And uh, so you sure you want a 750? He says, oh, yeah, I've had lots of experience. Okay, all right. So I'm not going to turn down a 1795 sale. That was a good deal. So I sold it. And two weeks later, he totaled it. And I know why. Because I saw him more than once going down the street right in front of us, which is a main traffic street, pulling wheelies on a 750 Suzuki. Mm. Like, he was insane. And talking to people later, he said, oh, yeah, he's, he's crazy. He does everything you can possibly imagine. He does wheelies around the block and tries to do stoppies and slides the front end. Yeah, he treats cars as slalom posts. It's just crazy. He should never have been on a motorcycle. There well, he was. Should be part of the test, really, so you can learn how to wheelies and stop it safely. <laughs> yeah, yeah the wheelie's not the problem, right? It's a lack of safety in doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody um, here, other than Graham, had professional wheelie training? Wheelie no. training? No. Wheelie, wheelie training. Because Graham, you had a, a, a wheelie training session, didn't I've you? I've changed your bike TV for my 50th birthday. It took me to wheelie school. So, yeah, I, I, I did uh, wheelie training. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, what color belt do you have now? <laughs> I, got a little one with, I got a little one with handles that strap me to the seat so I don't fall off the back. <laughs> when I passed my test, the test was literally... Um, you had to drive about, ride about five miles with an instructor following you in a car. And up until the week that I took my test, the route that everybody um, had to do their test on was exactly the same. 
And so I'd ridden that route a hundred times over and over again. I knew every bump in the road. And the week that I came to do my test, they stopped following that road. So all of a sudden, I'm in new territory. And I was just thinking, oh, I'm brilliant. Here we go. And I, I thought I've, I'd failed my test because um, at the last T-junction, um, I stalled the bike. And I just thought, right, that's it. You're stuffed. So I just sort of, oh, well, put it out of gear, turn it back on again, press the button, and off I went again. And I got to the end and said to the instructor, well, I really cocked that up, didn't I? And he said, no. I said, well, why not? I stalled it at a major traffic junction. He said, yeah, but, you know, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. You were just very calm about getting yourself back together again. And you looked all the ways before you set off. No, that's fine. And he said, one thing I will tell you is um, always look out for the person who's going to say, sorry, mate, I didn't see you. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. <laughs> but this bike, yeah. I had it from brand new and I only owned it for six weeks. I, I knew nothing about buying secondhand bikes or anything else. And I sold this bike and I was taking it to deliver down these tiny, windy little back lanes, um, high hedges and banks to the sides, um, single lane. You couldn't see around the corner, so I was being really careful. I mean, I'd sold the bike, and it was vital that I got this money. And I was about half a mile away from the person's house, and somebody came out of a side turning and just straight in front of me. Well, fortunately, a little KDX, these trail bikes, great suspension in the front forks. And the first dent was in um, the, pa the side panel of this car just behind the front wheel. And the second dent was where um, Sam landed full body right smack in the middle of the bonnet because I was just flipped straight <laughs> over and banged down in the middle of this bonnet. And I tell you what, there was no damage to this, um, to the bike at all, except for slightly twisted handlebars, which were easy to straighten and some, um, some scuffing, very light scuffing. Wasn't I lucky, but my goodness, that driving instructor, he was right, wasn't he? Look out for the guys that say, sorry, mate. Mm. Didn't bother looking. Oh, like it. No, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Brian, can, can you do me a favor? Yeah. yeah. Can you wake up, Shirley? I want to ask her a question. <laughs> sure, wake up. Well, I actually wondered if I was going to get to participate this week or not. <laughs> so I'm curious. Now, yeah, now, what was your first bike, sure. Well, that's what, no, I'm curious because I, I, everybody knows you're not riding the bike, like as, not, as far as you're not in control of the bike, but you're riding in the back. What was your first ride? Um, I was probably, I honestly don't remember because it was just a bike. Um but I was probably about 15 and growing up in Sydney at Manly on the beach, all of my friends and part of the surf culture, all the boys had little bikes, 250s, I guess. And um, I would have had uh, thongs on, not shoes. I would have had shorts on, not riding pants. I would have had a T-shirt on, not a jacket. I wouldn't have had a helmet and I certainly wouldn't have had gloves. But mm. I did learn how to be a pinion passenger because all the the bikes had drop-down handlebars. So I just used to put my arms around and put my hands on the tank and <laughs> that way I learned how to lean with the rider. So while it was perhaps not as safety conscious as you should be, it was a very good learning experience. And we used to hurtle up and down the coast um, uh, along the beaches on beautiful sunny days. I figured that was part of the motivation to learn is that you have no protective gear on. So, you know, if you go down, that's it. <laughs> you don't get a second chance at it. So you have to learn how to ride yeah. at that point, even on the back. I guess so. Um, 
and certainly I lost um, a few friends in motorcycle accidents when I was a kid. But um, one thing that um, I didn't uh, do properly was look after my hair. And my mother, who didn't know I was uh, riding a motorbike, I'd come home with my hair just one big knot and I'd have to try and explain to her that it was very windy at the beach and that's why my hair was so knotty. (laughs) (laughs) My first serious boyfriend used to race his bike. He had a 250 Suzuki something or other and we used to ride to the track. He would take off all the glass and tape everything up that needed to be taped up, race, and then put it all back together and we would ride home. And I can say that the trip home was usually a tad faster than the trip to the track. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> so I, I was wondering how far along Brian was with the introduction to the motorcycle. So really when it came time to ride on the back of Brian's bike, you already knew what it was about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was, um, could I say, decades <laughs> after that, <laughs> that, I, that I met Brian. A few years, you say. She, she, a few years, yeah. She must have loved me, though, Jim, because we would leave our house and I'd, I'd be riding. I had an XB 1000 Yamaha, if you remember those things, and we'd be riding through city traffic. Now, Shirley is an on-air television reporter at this stage, and uh, it'd be a cold winter's day in Melbourne and she'd be on the back of the, uh, the, the, the Yamaha in her skirt and um, long boots as we'd cut through the traffic going to work in, right in the heart of Melbourne. And then I would have to try and repair the helmet here so I could go on camera and not look as though I'd had a motorbike helmet on first. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> they were different days. Yeah, <laughs> was wow. there no helmet law then, Cheryl, back then when you were riding around the Manly Beach and stuff? Oh. That's the late 15th century, Graham. There were certainly no helmet laws. The the helmet laws came in here when Uh, Brian in the mid mid to late 60s. Maybe there were helmet laws. (laughs) (laughs) No, there there, certainly wasn't compulsory. In Victoria, they came in earlier than New South Wales, and I think you were right. They're probably about 67 or thereabouts, I think, in New South Wales. Someone will correct us for sure on this podcast. I remember when I was in in Australia in uh, 1991, uh, you'd see bikers without helmets, and they said that they could get a, a letter from their doctor saying for for whatever reason, they couldn't wear a helmet because they had, I don't know, an extreme coolness or yeah. something. And uh, <laughs> with the right, right letter from your doctor, you were exempt uh, from wearing a helmet. Right. Yeah, that applied in New South Wales, but not in other states. And I think um, in South Australia, you could ride at about 10 kilometres an hour without wearing a helmet. Um, right. But in Victoria, no. I actually got chipped by a copper once shifting my bike from a petrol bowser, just riding it gently over to the, the other side of the apron for not putting my helmet on. So, yeah. yeah the helmet law came in a, a month before my 16th birthday here in BC. I was so bummed. But looking back, that was such a good thing, considering how well abused that helmet was later. <laughs> when you look at the scratches and think that yeah. would have been my head. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was well used. Can I just... I can just point out to you now, Brian's sense of time is not good. 
Um, Victoria was the first state to introduce mandatory motorcycle helmets, which he was correct there, in 1990. Wow. Wow. And in New South Wales, it was in 1991. So let me tell you, in the 15th century, when I was riding on the back of motorbikes, they weren't compulsory. Uh, do you no, feel better now? Right. You want to break the law? <laughs> no, that's that's wrong. That that is wrong. That that just means uh, <laughs> motorcycles riding in, on farms. Everybody had to wear a helmet on a farm. Uh, it was definitely before that. She's looked up something which is wrong. I've looked up shine lawyers. Well, there you go, they lawyers. No, pay for the certificate. <laughs> Spare me. <laughs> Are you two going to get heated? Because, you know, we can sit back and applaud it. That's why I was going to go and quiet here. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> oh, you don't want to know what the what body language is like here. <laughs> Come on in, guys. Put, put, put a lid on it. A little chilly this morning, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. One of us has had coffee and one of us doesn't drink coffee. So there's a kind of... Uh, the equilibrium of our energy is not on this morning. <laughs> right. He's, oh, God. Stop it, sure. <laughs> well, um, we're going to talk about some some secrets. Get some of your secrets out so they'll no longer be secrets. But first, before we do it, let's take a break here. Time to, to fill up our coffee cups. And I'm going to talk about Fresh Tracks. Fresh Tracks uh, is supporting this show. Freshtracks.co.uk. Now, they've been around since the 90s. And what they do is uh, they work with companies to uh, to inspire, motivate, challenge, build communication skills through team building exercises. So they work with companies like Mars, uh, Pfizer, Comic Relief, Yahoo. And for motorcyclists, they have an area on their main campus where we can go and try out our gear. We can camp. Um, what this is, is that they're not far from London in the UK and they've got a, a spread there and they've got a place set up for you to camp and hang out and uh, maybe give your gear a shakedown. If you're planning on, on doing a trip or you just want to get out and get away, um, you can go there and, and you can use their spot to camp or you can um, use one of their cabins. They've also got some cabins. All this is uh, available at Fresh Tracks website. Now, to get to the, this is called Adventure Space, by the way, um, with Fresh Tracks. Freshtracks.co.uk is the website, and then forward slash Adventure Space. That gets you right to the uh, the moto related adventures. Um, otherwise, if you're if you have a company uh, and you're looking um, to uh, better your communications, I guess really within the company, check out Freshtracks.co.uk. And we're, we're very pleased to have them sponsoring our show. Sam, did you ever get down there to check out the adventure space? No, I've been locked up since um, since then. So, oh, right. um, But um, yeah, I know it's definitely on my list of places to ride to. I really, really like the sound of this. And um, Dan is such a nice guy. Um, spend time with him and um, just the bubble enthusiasm and the knowledge comes out of this guy at a rate of knots. It's fantastic to spend time around. So um, yeah, I'm sure he's built somewhere that's really special. Yeah, and he's got all kinds of, Dan uh, is is the owner of the company. I guess he's connected to green lanes, is what he said, um, that are all around the area. Mm-hmm, that's yeah. right. Which what we call, I mean, many people call them off-road, but they're, but they're really just unassumed, unmaintained roads that can get rough. Yeah, that's about right. No, yeah. they're, they're, they're brilliant fun to ride too. There are some cracking ones in his area. So, yeah, yep, if anybody is heading this way, um, 
yeah, um, spend some time at his place. It's, um, you won't regret it, I don't think. Freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. Okay, well, now... Just to go back, go back one step just before you start with something new. Sure. Shirley's right and Brian's right, except that Shirley's not quite right. Shirley, 1990 was bicycle helmets became mandatory. 1972, motorcycle helmets became mandatory in Australia. Mm. I remember There that. you go, Shirley. <laughs> we had, in our little camper van in Australia, we had like two, two radio stations. Uh, all, they all triple something, like Triple M or something like that. And I remember there was a big deal that the bicycle helmet had just been made mandatory and, and there were all these kids moaning about riding, having the right to school to wear their helmets. Yeah, I remember that on the radio. That was a news feature when I was in Australia. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Cheryl's making me a cup of coffee at the moment, so I'll relate that to her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need another cup of coffee, boys. <laughs> Well, wearing a helmet on a bicycle isn't mandatory in the UK yet, so Australia is well advanced on that law. It's not yeah, mandatory here for, for bicycles. No. What did you say, Grant? We've had it here for a number of years now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's surprising. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The the whole mandatory thing, because I mean, you should be wearing a jacket, but a jacket's not mandatory. You should be wearing gloves with fingers. <laughs> but um, that, <laughs> well, that's that's oh, pain, pain, but it's not quite the same thing as dead or brain dead and in a coma for the rest of your life at great expense to the public. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. great expense to your families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but still, the the yeah. the, the jacket um, can help reduce expense. You just mentioned great expense to the public, right. um, damage, True. insurance claims, and personal injury. I mean, there, there's some things that were mandated to do. And and other things, you know, we're not. It's just kind of strange. Well, it's always how much how it's, many it's are a, pushing for it versus how many people are against it. It's always going to be a battle. Look, it is, and I. But I, you know, you, you got to weigh up um, you, you, <laughs> the ability to to do what you want to do versus um, safety and cost, I suppose. And I think helmets are a, a good one. Um, it's up to. Maybe it's up to the individual and maybe it's just natural selection sometimes. <laughs> Actually, before we move out of the secrets, I want to give a shout out to, um, to Mark Carrera from Outback Motor Tech in the U.S. Um, Mark has, um, he's been distributing our flyers, which has been very, very nice for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw with the products they sell and they sell the crash bars for motorcycles. So he's been, you know, putting a flyer in each one and um, Mark, you know, thank you very much for that. We really appreciate it. Sam knows Mark, right, Sam? Oh, I, I yeah. What a top guy. Um, and he runs Outback Motor Tech for the USA. And um, yeah, he. Just, I was staying with him one time and Mark said to me, Hey, you haven't got any Adventure Rider radio flyers, have you? Because oh, I'd be delighted to put them in boxes when they're going out to customers. I mean, that's just an example of what this guy is like. Um, mm-hmm. And I know he spends an awful lot of time helping people. And um, yeah, no, so, yeah, thank you very much, Mark. It's um, really appreciative. Yeah, I just want to say thanks. And since then, Sam, I've sent him cards as well. We, we printed up some cards and sent them. So it's great to have that sort of support. Um, that's just really nice. So I just wanted to give him a shout and uh, a shout out rather. And, and you can check out Outback Motor Tech uh, US. Now, 
do you know what their website is, Sam? Cool. Offhand, no, I don't. But if they put Outback Motor Tech in, um, they'll find them very quickly. Yeah, this is a company that set up um, very slowly and went very gently and listened um, to what people were saying that they actually wanted. And they, they've designed some really good equipment. Um, my F800 in the States has got um, uh, the protection bars and the bash plate and um, a, a, a rack on the back as well. And um, oh, I'm yeah, totally impressed with this equipment. And I'm not saying that because Mark's become a friend, just because I really like this gear. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't come across it, check it out. It's good stuff. Yeah, I have to have a look at it. I actually haven't seen any of it, um, uh, you know, up close. But um, I've seen the videos that they do where they, they put the, the crash bars on a new bike or whatever, and then they sort of push it along, I think, and let it flop over and smash down to the ground, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and then pick it up to, to, to show nothing's happened. So, kind of cool. Yeah. Outback Motor Tech. Anyway, thanks very much, Mark. I do appreciate your yep. support. That's Outback Motor Tech, T-E-K. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's T-E-K, outbackmotortech.com. Right. And they make a lot more with your big bands you people with your bandwidth you can research other stuff while you're doing this I I have every window closed my phone's switched off same with me I can't search for anything there's no chance yes Ryan Sam um, have you actually crash tested this stuff yes (laughs) (laughs) that was a loaded question four times unfortunately four Um, times (laughs) yeah um embarrassing hey hang on let's define crash oh well i mean (laughs) one of the times was um at a gas station in the states i was riding with a friend dan and this was tiny little gas station and um we pulled in there two pumps um cup of coffee fill up and down the side of this gas station um forecourt which was sort of beat up asphalt um was a, a gravel drive and um i pulled out round onto that before pulling back onto the to, to the main road. And I'd only been back on the F800 for, um, I don't know, a week or so of riding. And it's so different to, to Libby. Um, the chain, the modern technology, and I forgot that if you open the throttle, um, you're going to get an awful lot of power to that back wheel very, very quickly, unlike Libby, which is sort of fairly gentle and really lazy and so on. And just bang, that back wheel went hurtling round and walloped down onto the ground. And what a red face did I have. And I was loaded up with books and pop-up banners and all of this sort of stuff, and I couldn't get the bike up. <laughs> Fortunately, there were two guys who had pulled in, in their pickup trucks, um, beat up old things, um, the pickup trucks, not the, the guys, um, and they were just standing hands on hip, mouths wide open, looking in my direction. You could see them thinking, geez, did we just see him do that? And anyway, they came over and gave me a hand to pick it up. But it took all three of us to pick this bike up because guess what? There was a slight slope and it had fallen over downhill. But these bash bars, um, yeah, they were scraped, but none of the bodywork was at all. And the bars hadn't shifted at all. So that was um, the second time that I had um, crash tested the bike. Do you, want, do you want to hear the first time? I'm curious, yeah. All right. So... Here I am. I bought this F800 to be in the States and it's going to live there and so on. Um, and funnily enough, it's the Mark Carrera connection here. Um, I bought the bike from Mark Carrera. 
And Mark very kindly did a whole load of work on it before I flew out to start the next tour. He put new panniers on and the bash plates and Denali lights and screen and Avon tires and all of the rest of it, new bearings, full service. He just went through this bike like a dose of salts for me. Absolutely fantastic. So I flew out, spent a couple of days um, in Washington, um, uh, near Washington with the ADV Moto magazine guys and then headed down to Mark and his wife Louisa's. And I spent the first couple of days there sorting out and packing and repacking and all that sort of stuff because I'd never done it with this bike before. The panniers were a different shape. At home with Libby, um, it's just like a 3D jigsaw puzzle and I can do it on autopilot. But with this bike, it was new. Anyway, so the bike's finally fu- fully loaded, everything, the banners, the boxes of books, the display materials, the camping kit, um, a few spare parts and all of this sort of stuff. And I'm in the garage and I'm on my own and it's time to roll off the center stand. And I tell you what, I'm already thinking that this bike felt really tall in comparison to the RHGS. Well, normally when I'm pushing Libby off the center stand, I put a knee up against one of the cylinders. So I've got a three-point fix, the handlebars and my knee to roll her off the center stand. But of course, with the F800, there's no cylinders. So I'm sort of pushing and shoving and not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, wallop, the bike comes off the center stand and bang, down it went. But it wasn't down it went into the flat surface of the garage, was it? Down it went straight into the side of Mark's tool tower. You know, these rolly oh. towers on wheels and so on. <laughs> and this thing was pristine. Wallop, straight into the side of that, big dent in the side of it. And the rest of the bike had fallen down in front of some shelves. So could I get round the other side of the bike to pick it up? No, I couldn't because it had fallen into all of that stuff. And I'd have to be, I don't know, an eighth of the size that I am to be able to get myself in there, let alone lift the blooming thing up. So there I am, the first time I've rolled the bike off the center stand, and I've got to go and ask for help to put it up. And Mark, bless him, he had such a straight face for about 10 minutes and then he just cracked up laughing and he's, made, he's drawn a circle around his head and pointed an arrow to it and he's made me sign it Sam was here <laughs> I don't know why they call you a disaster magnet I don't know why stuff happens and I want to know why everyone says I pack too much stuff on a bike banners books promotional material for goodness sake Sam Hey, I tell you what, sometimes you- my bike looks like one of those overloaded Peugeots that you see in photographs going across the Sahara. <laughs> hey, hey, Sam, does your, not, your bike not have traction control on it? What? Traction control <laughs> or stability <laughs> control, they call it? No, no. I've thought about putting outriders on it, but no, I'd be embarrassed to into an event on with those on. <laughs> no, it's. I, I was. I thought it came on all the thirteens. Maybe it doesn't, though. It, maybe maybe it's an option uh, with it. I guess it comes with ABS, doesn't it? You've got ABS. Yeah, I I did hear that. I'm I'm still reading up on that. Oh, well, well, the, the, um, are you you dragging me along here? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Jim, you know my mechanical expertise, which is it's got two wheels and an engine and hopefully if you put fuel and um, and oil in, it's fine. (laughs) That's your line. That's my line, Sam. It goes if it's got petrol in it, and if it stops and it's got petrol in it, it's broken. Did you say from Shirley? Shirley. <laughs> well, 
Now, now, Sam, you already got into it because we were going to talk about secrets. I don't know how much of a secret that is. I mean, you've got so many of those stories. You must have loads more. I won't even worry about it. But secrets are something something that you've done on your bike or something that's happened to you while you rode your motorcycle, uh, maybe been on a trip that you sort of don't like to admit to. One of those, you know, moments. Um, So so let's start with Graham. (laughs) Well, um, it's hard to know when to start, but there was there was a trip um, from uh, Denver, which was a 10-state trip up to Seattle in Washington and, and sort of around in a big circle. This was in 2001. And I bought this Yamaha Venture with my friend's money. I didn't have any money. And it was a bloody awful bike. Uh, and it came with a crash helmet, which was handy because when I got to Utah, I was going to need one by law. But it was kind of funny. We were talking about helmets, you know, earlier and, and back then, you know, if you didn't have to wear one, I wouldn't. Uh, although really with that bike you would because you didn't want to be seen. <laughs> it would hide your embarrassment. <laughs> and um, so the first day we left we left Denver and we headed uh, we headed west uh, towards Utah. We got to Moab in Utah and stopped this little micro brewery. And I went into the in the bathroom to just wash my hands and my face all day riding without our helmet. And I had this bright burgundy strip down my centre part in, where the sun had shone on my head all day long. And uh, it's just like this headache-inducing strip, you know, which which over the next few days bubbled and blistered. And that, so, I mean, completely, all I was wearing was a bandana. I was thinking I was being cool. <laughs> I wasn't. And, uh, and so, yeah, just just idiocy, really. You know, like... like um, uh, Brian said, "You know, back in the day, I had the Easy Rider posters on the on the bedroom wall, and was impressionable, and, that, and that's how I'm going to ride. Well, that, that's great, but not when it's 80 degrees or 90 degrees Fahrenheit outside, and you're riding all day, and the sun is baking down on your face, which you don't feel because you've got the, the cool breeze in your face. And and really, that whole trip that it's the first of of the three trips that are in different natures. That whole trip." Was just a catalogue of this is not this is not what you do. The helmet that came with the bike was a large or an extra large or something. And so when I was in helmet states, when I was up in Montana, it was really cold. I just had this big hunter's balaclava, which I put on first. No, first of all, I put on my Walkman headphones. Then I put on the balaclava, and then I put on the helmet, and then the helmet sort of stayed there, and I could still listen to my Walkman. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that you, what you just said there—the juxtaposition between the poster or or the advertisement that shows you that that shows the excitement and really sells you on something to reality. Yeah, yeah, reality is really different, isn't it? <laughs> it <Found> is. that out. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Um, yeah, right. Well, I've I've got a couple, but there's one which I think. Statutes of limitations may not be relevant, may still be relevant, so I'll leave that one. No, out. no, that sounds <laughs> really good. I like your tone with no, this. No. <laughs> Brian, nobody's um, going to hear this. Don't worry. It's just between us. Yeah. Um, it's it's only mates here, Brian. <laughs> As you know, I'm a fine upstanding um, person in the community. And, um, uh, <laughs> um, Is that your coffee you're joking on there, Sean? <laughs> before i joined the police force i i decided to join the police force and um uh, i'm just trying to think uh, 
we, where I lived it was in Mildura, which is a long way from the ocean. And the, when we wanted to go to the beach and it's a stinking hot weather and all that sort of stuff, we would ride over to South Australia to Adelaide and uh, go for a swim over there. And um, so a few of us rode over to Adelaide and um, there's not many tra- – there's no traffic lights in Mildura at that stage, but down in um, Adelaide there are traffic lights. Can I say this is like a five-hour ride to go for a swim? I was wondering. Yeah, I'm sitting five. here wondering how far <laughs> that was. Uh, three. Three, sure. Uh, well, most people would do it in five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, at this set of traffic lights, there's um, three or four of us, I think, on bikes, and my girlfriend at the time is on the back of my bike and the other boys – I don't think I had girlfriends at the time. So we decided to do a streetlight drag because we hadn't seen too many streetlights where we came from. So off we go. And well, you wouldn't believe it, but there's some blue lights flashing up there. And I'm the, I'm the only one that gets pulled in for dragging off the streetlights. Um, and I think the main reason was is because my girlfriend was wearing a helmet and a bright um, gold-coloured bikini top. That's the only reason the others kept going. Now, fast forward a little to, um, I didn't own a car, so I, I had to get down to Melbourne to go to an interview for the police, to join the police force. And I do the interview and, oh, yeah, it's all very, very good. Is there anything else you want to tell me? And I'd been booked in Adelaide for this particular so-called uh, offence. And... Um, Possibly crimes against fashion. <laughs> it was the fashion police. <laughs> and uh, I actually, I said, well, there's, there's one thing. Um, I have a, a traffic offence I have to go to court for over in Adelaide for, for um, uh, going a little bit fast. And I said, oh, thanks for your honesty. And they still let me in the job. And I'd lost my licence in Adelaide for three months, in South Australia for three months. For this street drag, but they still let you the police force. <laughs> they didn't know this, of course. Uh, um, no, right. <laughs> but um, when I was accepted to the police force, I did one last one, and I had long hair and a beard, and I could grow hair. And I'm doing a ride route down the Great Ocean Road, and we're coming back into Melbourne to stay at my uncle's place, who was a hairdresser who was going to cut my hair the day before I went over to the police academy. So I've got long hair, long lanky hair and a beard and um, same, I should have learnt, the last set of traffic lights coming out of Geelong, same thing, there's a hot enough car that I hear, right mate, I'll give you a go. So I've taken off on the 750 Honda and bugger me, there's blue lights down the road again and I get pulled over. I, I, and the bloke said, what's your reason for doing this? I said, well, I've got to get to my uncle's place to get a haircut. Why do you have to do that? going in the academy on Monday. And he said, is that right? I actually had a piece of paper in my pocket that was an acceptance to the police academy. So he let me go. (laughs) Hey, wait a second. I thought that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. It's a long time. Was there there not a lot of applicants for that job, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) And I was scraping the bottom of the barrel, mate. <laughs> Can I share with you, when I first met Brian, he Please. had long hair and a beard. He was working undercover. Uh, so he's, he could still grow hair then. Look what you've done to me. I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I actually, um, so so where, where, where are we at now here? We, uh, 
We got Sam. We're talking secrets. We're talking Sam with a, with another. So you got to go deeper. You got to go. I mean, that was bad. I mean, that was really bad, Sam. Really, really bad. I got to tell you. <laughs> but but I, I want you to go deeper. When I told Birgit that we were going to do this, she said, of course, it's going to be an impossible task to pick out just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Now, me, my mind seems to be completely blanked. You know, I don't remember any red face wobbles really? at all. But I tell you what, I did read a quote that um, I rather like this week, and it said, um, laughter relieves anger, tension, and hostility by over 80%, and it cuts heart attack risk by over 70%. So just think, we're on a health kick on this show. Isn't that good? <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's great. But I think you're avoiding anyway. something. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell a story about um, when I first started um, out on the trip. And after the last show, you, people have seen how totally overloaded my bike was, com- just completely ridiculous. I didn't know whether I was coming or going. Um, and so I rolled off the ferry from England into France, and it's February, and it's cold, and I passed my bike test um, three weeks before, and I was way overloaded. And I was trying so hard coming off the ferry not to dump the bike because in February, the, the, the ramp off the, um, the ferry was really slippery. Anyway, I made it up and I made it past all of these guys who were working, um, loading and offloading the ferry and they all stopped working to look at me and my complete overloadedness head off. And um, I'm swear I would have got a really good round of applause if I dumped the bike, but I didn't. I was quite pleased with myself for that. I had no idea what I was going to need to ride the length of Africa. I had 53 litres of fuel capacity on the bike, 10 litres of water, all the inner tubes and spare tyres and spare parts and even a spare clutch plate and all of that sort of stuff. So loaded down was I, I'd had to dump my winter clothing to save space and weight. And it was freezing. And I didn't even know about things like heated grips. Well, the gear that I was wearing wasn't ideal and I was just riding completely frozen for those first couple of days in particular. And the first night, um, well, I was determined not to use hotels, but all of the campsites were closed and I was determined not to use hotels because, well, of course, you know, every time you spend out on a hotel, that's an awful lot of travel money in a continent like Africa. So wild camp it was. The, the days were really short, but I was so lucky because it wasn't hissing down with rain. It was just those really, really crisp winter days that you get where everything's just all these different shades of mists and greys and browns and everything. I was so happy it wasn't raining. But anyway, it got towards the end of the day and I'm looking for a wild camping spot. And I've seen loads earlier in the day, but thought, no, it's too early to stop. You know how it goes. And it gets towards the end of the day and I'm beginning to get a little bit desperate because the sun's beginning to go quite quickly. And then all of a sudden I came across an open gate and I thought, right, this this looks like to go. And it was fairly tall grass in the entrance to this gate, which was leading into a field, which meant to me that, you know, nothing was coming and going from it. So I was probably going to be fine. And I stopped in the entrance of this field and just looked out into it. And it was just full of long grass, sort of, you know, knee-height grass, I reckoned. And in the shadows it was still frosty. It was that cold. So I set off across the field and within seconds I went from this will do to, oh no, no, it's a ploughed field. Bang, down I went. <laughs> all that long grass hit all of these, the ploughed ruts. And of course my front wheel just went <clears> in <throat> one of those and straight down. And the panniers wedged straight into one of these ruts. 
And I'm looking at this and I'm absolutely exhausted from the cold and I now have to pick up my bike. And and I'm standing looking at the bike and I'm looking at it and I'm just thinking, and you want to ride through Africa and you're doing things like this. How stupid can you be? But I tell you what, I was so warm when I climbed into my sleeping bag that night. The effort of picking my bike up was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Oh, dear. Yeah, well, anyway, so um, wow. it took me, I think, about four years before I first told that story because I was so embarrassed the first night out for dropping my bike like that. I'll bet. Grant, how about you? Oh, I've got a few, I guess. <clears throat> how many should I actually admit to here? Let me think now. Whatever. <laughs> uh, my first time falling off a motorcycle. I'm, I've been riding for like a month, going to school, and there was only like half a dozen bikes at the school, just whizzing around a corner, and there's several girls I know there, so I'm whizzing around the corner just a little bit faster. Oops, corner's got all kinds of gravel on it, which I had not learned to watch for yet. You know what happened. <laughs> sliding across the road, ending up right at the feet of these girls who are all freaked out because I'm sliding towards them. Jump up real quick. <laughs> Ignore the fact that I've now gone right through my jeans on one side. Blood's dripping down. Oh. Bike's not running, of course. <laughs> yeah, you want a red face? That was a red face. It's Grant, the that's the moment that you say, and for my next trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst when there's people around to witness it, isn't there? <laughs> yes, especially girls in your class. <laughs> well, well, if they take pity on you, that's almost even worse. <laughs> No, they just pretended they didn't know me. <laughs> Kept on going. Um, so that was one little incident. That was probably that was definitely my first falling off. I'd never fallen off before on a motorcycle, so that was an experience and not to be repeated. It was painful. Um, I guess the other one was uh, or, or, I don't know. If I should admit to this or not in front of Brian. However, okay, we'll get brave. Um, I got remember I bought a Ducati two fifty. Well, it came with two exhaust pipes. One of them was a straight pipe for motocross, and the other one was a megaphone, both completely wide open, no muffler whatsoever. So that's the way I wrote it, <clears throat> trying to be quiet. However, it made such a good sound. It was absolutely wondrous when it echoed up around nine and a half grand. However, the police didn't agree. So I got a, got pulled over, got a ticket. And in those days, at that age, my mother had to go to court with me. Okay. So yeah, that, that didn't go over very well. And then I got another one. She had to go with me again. <laughs> and that didn't go over well either. That went over considerably as well. And then one night I'm riding home, uh, those who live in Vancouver will know 25th Avenue out near Arbutus. It's a, there's a nice big median. It's quite quiet. There's hardly any traffic in those days. Cool. So I'll just, just let it rev out a little bit, you know? It's just kind of nice. And then I see a police car. Oh, I cannot get another buffer ticket. I cannot. <laughs> there's just no way I can do that. Um, so I <clears throat> made a left turn. And then I made a right turn, and then I made a left turn, and then I made another right turn. And then I turned down a lane. Uh, I, I believe this this is called running from the police. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I think that's a technical term. Right. Uh, is, is it? Oh, okay. Um, 
Then I decided I would just park in this garage here and just sit here for a little while. Very quiet. And then I hear this crunching tires on gravel. I'm just standing there. This cop pulls up, shines his light in the garage. <laughs> uh, do you live here, son? Um, no. Why are you here? Um, the bike won't start and I'm trying to fix it. Uh-huh. He just looks up. Don't let me find you again. And drove away. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy, are you lucky. You are. Uh, oh, yeah. Great, great. When we get off air, I'll tell you another story. Which I won't tell on air. <laughs> well, this was so long ago, I don't think I have a worry. <laughs> I think. Uh, just murder is over 70 years, isn't it? <laughs> So anyway, I did get another muffler ticket after that. I decided running wasn't a good idea. So, but I did get another one and ended up going to court again. And mother had to go with me again. And this time I stuffed a little bit of a, a muffler thing on it. And the judge listened to it and he says, yeah, okay, that sounds good enough. And he let me off. He listened to your bike? <laughs> listen, he went, actually went out and listened to the bike. Wow. Which is muffler that I said that I had on at the time and I didn't and get the some of you will remember this it was a muffler bearing you know what a muffler bearing is what? yeah imagination <laughs> no it's a bearing that fits inside your muffler and you ram it in oh I see yeah. right. it makes the hole yeah. really small and the bike goes really really slow but it's quiet <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised the magistrate didn't let you off anyway, Grant, because everything your mother would have been saying to you was probably a lot worse and the punishment at home yeah. was a lot worse than anything he could inflict on you, right? Oh, you have no idea. Craig, <laughs> 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 do you remember Dunstall megaphones? Oh, yes. I had a set yeah. on my, I had a, on my, my 350 Honda. They were fantastic. Yep. They had a great crispy noise on a cold winter's morning, you know, with the frost on the ground. Mum could hear me riding 10 miles away on this thing. Oh, great little, great sound. But they actually had some something in the way of a muffler in them. Think of one of they those with nothing back. inside it on a Ducati single. Yeah, but they had three <laughs> little self-tapper screws, which made it very easy to pull them out. Ah, yes, right. <laughs> Do you remember snuff or knots? Snuff or uh, not? No. Snuffer knots were really cool. They went into the end of a straight pipe, and basically it was a knob on the outside that you turned. And it was a washer inside, and the washer was either in line with the exhaust gases coming out, so the knot position. And then you turned it the other way, and it was a snuff. Yeah, it was a butterfly. And it was wonderful. Uh, so you could shut it up, or you could let it rip. It was great. <laughs> well, I must be getting old, because I put those four into force pipes on the 750 Honda I've just um, refurbished and I pulled the baffles out and uh, took it for a ride but my ears started to ring so I've actually put the baffles back in it. Yeah. I must be getting old. <laughs> my 400 came with the uh, insert in the back with a big chopped right off and a big hole punched in it and I fired it up, pulled it right off, immediately put in the standard insert and it's quiet. It's nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> God, these people with no loud pipes are idiots. <laughs> with all the Harleys, et cetera, with loud pipes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I learned a few things about that. 
I, I was going to add up what you were doing there. I mean, evading the police and hiding and then you're lying to them. And oh man, you were trouble. Um, who, me? Um, <laughs> anybody that lives in Vancouver <laughs> know where Van Dusen Gardens is. Van Dusen Gardens is now a really posh, fabulous botanical garden thing in a fairly, well, a, a very expensive area of Vancouver. Well, it didn't used to be. It used to be a reservoir and sort of it's a... I don't know what you call it. It wouldn't be a park, but it was field. So a four-block area that was field with a big reservoir up quite high in the middle of it, in the middle of a posh neighborhood. Well, you could manage about 20 minutes really good riding before the police arrived. And somebody somebody <laughs> made a phone call. The police would arrive at one end or the other. So we could see them coming. So we'd all dutifully trot out the other side and come back the next day. And this was where we had lunch from school on a regular basis. <laughs> so we were not popular in the area, especially the one day when finally about 10 police arrived and there was no exit left. Mm. So we had, we got a good dressing down, but they didn't do anything, which wow. was really interesting. I, don't, I do not know to this day why they didn't just haul or take our bikes away or anything. But I mean, we were running with open exhaust and doing all kinds of crazy things and uh, the reservoir was a really raised up thing, and that's where I learned to jump a motorcycle. You could flat out from the about halfway down the hill, run up and uh, approach the bottom of this thing, and suddenly you're going really steep, straight up, fly through the air, and then when you landed, you had to absolutely clamber on the brakes, slide it sideways, drop it into the bushes, or you go over the backside, which is about a 30-foot drop to the pavement on the other side. <laughs> So that's where I learned all about how to jump a motorcycle, really get on the brakes hard. <laughs> this is a good exercise. I, I don't feel as bad about mine. I mean, I mean, I, I've got a, I've got a number of them, but but I'll, I'll just give you, I'll give you two actually. You need the, to hear yours. I was just say that. <laughs> the, the, and I, I'll also give my my first ride. I forgot to do that. But so my um, embarrassing moment one was um, I have to say I never dropped a bike until I started riding adventure bikes I had my street bikes I never dropped the only time I dropped it was once when I dropped a bike was once when I was washing one uh, and, and it fell over on me that was embarrassing but um, one is when I was riding in Ontario Canada this was in the fall I was riding my KLR 615 if, if I recall I hadn't had the KLR all that long and um, still sort of getting the feel of the bike and everything. But anyway, the area that I'm riding is, is absolutely gorgeous. It, uh, people say it's the north, but it's really central Ontario. And it's all hills, a lot of rock, a lot of exposed rock, the Canadian Shield there, a lot of lakes and, and rivers and things like that. And it's a very rugged terrain. And because it's so rugged, they blast through the rock to try and keep the road at least relatively flat. And they'll take the rock, they blast out, and they'll fill it into the next uh, valley. And um, that's how they make the road. And because of this, the road's not very wide in many places. So you, you'll go across one of those spots. The road's only as wide as the rock they've uh, blasted out and put down for the road to continue on. So what you get is these very narrow shoulders and a really steep drop-off on the side of the road. It's enough to pull over in, in most cases, but if you go over beyond that, it drops right off. Now, this was fall. Colors were beautiful, just starting to, to come out, I think is what it was, just starting to look really good. But I, I I went to pull over here on the side of the road for no reason, other than it was just great. It was one of those great rides. I'm really enjoying myself. And I think I was just going to, you know, look at the KLR for a minute. But I, I pulled over to the side of the road, hit the gravel, no problem. 
come to a stop and put my left foot down, you know, to, to balance the bike. But something about it, you know, when you get to that balance point where the, the bike, you know, is, is, is just balanced and it goes one way or the other, well, it started to go to the right. And without thinking, I dabbed my right foot, but there was nothing there. Or at least by the time my foot hit the, the slopey gravel, the bike was already sort of committed and it's got the weight on it. And I'm trying to hold it up as it's slowly sinking over and I, and I can't do it. And I literally roll off this thing very swiftly. I literally roll off this thing and down the little hill and the bike, you know, flops over on its side and some cars are going by. And I just felt so incredibly stupid. It was just, it was like one of the dumbest, most embarrassing things that I've done, although not the most embarrassing and uh, anyways, luckily nobody stopped to help me, which actually really made me feel good because the last thing I wanted was somebody to pull over and uh, offer me a hand, this poor pathetic guy who's, who's fallen off his motorcycle for no reason at all. There's another, actually I could throw in another one here. I, I remember getting on my bike, going to pull away from the dealership. This is on my F800. I, I go to pull away from the dealership right in front of the dealership. And I go to let the clutch out. The bike stalls. Uh, I say the bike stalls. Obviously, I stalled the bike and, and I'm committed to the turn already and it's leaned over and it falls over. And the guy from the dealership has to come out. Well, he doesn't have to, but he comes out and offers to pick it up for me. That was embarrassing. That was that was really embarrassing. One of those things that you keep running it through after you ride away and because it's down in Victoria and I'm riding up island in, in Vancouver, on Vancouver Island and you're running it through your head thinking, what did I do? How, how on earth did I manage this? This is when the bike was fairly new. Anyway, so... My other one, my other one that I wanted to share with you that I, I thought about, I'm on Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island is gorgeous to ride on. It really is incredible. Lots of mountains. You've got snow-capped peaks. You've got um, beautiful valleys and gorgeous rivers and waterfalls. There's just so much to see. But there's a lot of logging roads on Vancouver Island. There's not really much as far as actual trail goes. But what you do get is when they decommission a logging road, the, the logging road falls into disrepair. And that can often be you know extremely challenging, if not impassable in many cases. What they usually do to decommission a road is they'll they'll dig a trough, really like a little ditch across the road. It's called a water bar. It's sort of a diagonal cut across the road. And they'll do several of them going along. And that's supposed to stop the water from running right down the road and eroding the road because eventually they're going to log again and they'll use it again. So it'll have a sign up saying the road's decommissioned. That's usually sort of the start of your adventure. Odd the odd time, they have a gate up. And that's not so much on North Vancouver Island, but on South Vancouver Island, they have um, a lot of gates down there. But North Vancouver Island, for me, is where the adventure is. And um, this one particular time I'm riding along, it's a beautiful day. Uh, the, uh, the the sun is out and the, and the sky is blue. And I know there's this valley in where I'm going. And I know there's a river in there. And I, I really want to see this river. And I haven't been able to find a spot to get in there. Anyway, I, I pull down this road and, and there's a gate there. I mean, it's an old gate and there's a little spot where you can go around the gate. And some other people have been going around the gate. So I looked at it and I debated. Now, normally with a gate, I won't go around it. I almost never do. But this time I decided I'm going to go around the gate. The gate means nothing. It's just, just blocking off. I mean, I can't see any reason for this gate telling me that I can't go in here. So I, I follow, I go around the gate. On the other side, um, I ride along and um, the trail, the road quickly uh, deteriorates into a trail, very rough. It's, it's got um, trees that have been blown down on it and things like small trees that have been blown down on it. And it's, a lot of it's washed away. Anyway, so it's quite fun. But then I come to the river and there's a bridge across the river. They left the bridge in. I ride out onto the bridge. 
it's stunning. This river that goes through this chasm of rock below me is uh, is about 20 feet below me. The river water is a an, um, sort of a turquoise color, but it's so clear. You can see the gravel on the bottom and you can see fish. I'm looking down, I'm seeing fish swim around in this river. It just just one of those moments, you know, where everything is right. I get off the bike, I take a bunch of photos, I go down to the river and I explore down by the river and there's just so much there. I, I, I wanted to go back, I figured this is a spot. I'm going to come back and explore some more. But the road or the trail goes on, it's deteriorating quickly. I go on further and I come up to a spot where there's a bridge that's been decommissioned, taken out. It's It's gone, long gone. But there's a small trail going off the right-hand side. So I, I go down the trail and it's one of those trails that, you know, starts out good, but you can see everybody goes down and turns around and comes back. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know why, but uh, the trail gets smaller and smaller until I finally got to sort of almost push my way through. And then I come to this spectacular spot. It's a wide open field, grassy field, long grass. And I ride out into it and I stop to take it in because I've got the blue sky behind me. I've got mountains off to my left and this long grass in front of me. And it's just like a, a an oasis in the wilderness, you know, and I'm thinking this is the type of spot you'll see uh, herds of elk uh, grazing. Elk are, are huge, really big animals and really beautiful to see. So I'm, I'm sitting there looking out to, you know, imagining or, or waiting for the elk sort of to come, but I'm not really expecting it. And I get this weird feeling, you know, that feeling like that somebody's looking at you and I swing my head around and I'm shocked to see off to my right, which I hadn't looked till now, there's a platform and there's a group of people standing on the platform. <laughs> They're all looking at me looking really puzzled. And then it occurs to me, I'm in an elk viewing area. This is a, this is a reserve, an elk viewing reserve. They've come to see the elk and now this idiot on a motorcycle has pulled out into the field and sat there. I tell you, I just wanted to shrivel up and disappear. So I had to turn around, but of course, <laughs> turning around isn't easy when you're doing that because I don't want to ride further into the field. So I have to do like a little three-point turn, which makes it, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful, even though I've been disrespectful. And now it looks even worse, my little three-point turn or my 45-point turn. And oh man, I can feel the heat increasing. I'm starting to sweat inside my my riding suit. And I finally got turned around, got out of there and it was just, oh man, it was just so incredibly embarrassing. Red-faced to no end, I'll tell you that. I'll, I'll just quickly give you my, my first ride. My first ride was actually, I, I, I built a mini bike out of a, a frame that I got. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how I got the frame, but I ended up putting a lawnmower engine in it and everything. Very underpowered. You had to hold the throttle, you know, wide open to get the thing to move at all. And then it would slowly gain speed. But it was a good exercise in learning about mechanics and things like that. That was sort of the first ride. I then rode my sister's, uh, she had a dirt bike, a, a Honda 75. And I rode that a few times. Uh, that was what... That's what really gave me the feeling for a motorcycle because there was just such an amazing feeling to it. It had gears and everything. It was it was like the real the real deal. But it wasn't until my buddy pulled in with his Can M. I don't know if you guys know what Can M is. I'm sure Grant does. But the three wheeler? No, no, it's not a three wheeler. No, no, that this is before then. This is Can M way back. Uh, it was kind of a like an olive green bike, but it was a dirt bike. The Can M was really big in racing, wasn't it, Grant? In your day? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were very good. Um, Jeff Smith, who was a former world champion, was the developer here in Canada. Jeff Smith's British, and he came here to develop it. And it was a very competent, very good bike. Mm. Did very well racing. 
Well, my buddy bought one of these and it was a dual sport or equal to a dual, what would be a dual sport back in the day. And he pulled in and it was a hot summer day and everything. It just had freedom all over it. And I thought I've got to get a bike. So I ended up going to the, uh, the motorcycle shop. I picked out a bike, which I thought was a good starter bike. It was a Honda 550 four cylinder. And I said to them, how long is it going to take to get it ready? They said, I think it was like an hour or something like that. I said, great. I'll be back in a minute. I buzzed down the road. I wrote my test for the motorcycle. And then I came back and, and got on that 550. And I can't tell you the stress of, of riding that. I've never ridden anything like this before in my life. The stress of this brand new bike pulling out of it. It's in a town, not a city, but a town still. And I'm not used to the town. I'm not used to traffic and all of that, those sorts of things. It made for a very, very stressful, but successful ride. I did manage to get it home. And then I think it was less than three weeks later, I went to the license office and I said, are there any cancellations? They said, yeah, there's one today. I said, I'll take it. And I have my license just like that. You know, and, and uh, so in three weeks went from a non-rider to having my license. So I guess that's where the, the uh, graduated licensing does some good, mm-hmm. you know, keeping those riders off the road. Yeah. When I went and uh, got my license, I mean, we had a, a learner's license and you could ride for up to a year on your learners. And I rode 364 days on my learner because I was afraid of the test. <laughs> and then I found out what it was and I said, oh God, why was I afraid of this? <laughs> yeah. The test wasn't difficult for me. I didn't think so. Anyway, no. I mean, it was, it was fine. And I think they did a lot of, um, I did a lot of riding in that, in that short time period. So I think they did a lot of um, looking at you to see if you could actually handle the bike, if you were comfortable on the bike, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now they want actual skills. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, you only gave one story there. Did you have another one? Um, I got plenty, but, uh, uh, no, that's it really. So that we're going to do plugs. So why don't we do your plugs first? Uh, plugs, um, uh, all the plugs, all I've got to say is really, um, been really busy doing, uh, the, the, sending out the books and stuff and the website's looking really pretty cool at the moment. It's not just about the book sales and, uh, there's the t-shirts and there's, there's a bunch of reviews and there's a bunch of um, uh, test, uh, gear tests and stuff. So um, if you've got nothing better to do, if you're still locked down or whatever, my website, uh, grainfield.co.uk, has got all sorts of enticing things and tantalizing stuff and, and actual information as well and real honest, <laughs> very honest reviews on certain products. Uh, so um, that's all I've really got to talk, uh, plug. And uh, that's all I've got to say, really. Graham, just many congrats with with your book. I'm I'm seeing such good feedback from all over the place on it. So yeah, top job, mate. Well done. It's wonderful. Yeah, when people keep emailing me and saying how good it is, it's like I know it's good. Put a review on Amazon. Tell everybody else that. Those Amazon reviews they mean so much, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The normal one percent review it. Thanks for that. <laughs> Grant, what have you got for plugs? Well, since we're not doing much in the way of events, I've got video. Our Achievable Dream video series is still going. We're still playing a free video every week, a few free different one every week. So if you've been playing along, you're getting a free video. Um, but this, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to come out, so I won't say which one is up and available, but there are still at this moment five left. And you can also get any one of them for half price if you want to. So go to Horizons. Sorry, what am I saying? Well, yeah, definitely go to, I had it here a moment ago, horizonsunlimited.com slash free 
hyphen dream, horizonsunlimited.com slash free hyphen dream and get all the latest scoop on which one's available and your codes to get free and half price and whatever else you want to do. Check it out. There's 18 hours of video. There's just a ton of information in there. We've been selling this series now for, well, it was 2012-ish that we first released it. It's designed to be timeless. It's still very popular. Lots of people are watching it. You still get wonderful reviews. Uh, just had a guy watch one video that uh, he was planning on doing it around the world. And he said, I was kind of skeptical and I couldn't believe just how much stuff in there helped me figure out just what I'm trying to do and figure and save myself a lot of grief. Yeah, so nice. Check it out. Horizonsunlimited.com slash free hyphen dream. Free hyphen dream. Okay. Yeah, free or free dash dream, depending on where you are in the world. Right. <laughs> Sam? Excuse me, I just <laughs> I just took a large gulp of whiskey because it's that time of day, so I can now. Ah. And um, it kind of went down the wrong way, so I was on the. <laughs> I'm a little bit red faced, not from the not only from the stories that I told earlier on, but from that. Um, okay, um, I've talked uh, a lot about my books in various episodes of Raw, but I'm going to do it again because I know that there are loads of new, spe- new people uh, listening to the show each month. And to you guys, uh, brilliant that you're able to join us, and I hope that you're enjoying the topics and all of the natter. And to the regular listeners, well, great that you're with us, and I'm really enjoying seeing posts from a bunch of you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Good stuff. Anyway... As you'll probably know, I was lucky enough to spend eight and a bit years riding around the world, four of which were with my partner, Birgit. And neither of us were experienced riders when we started. Birgit had just 600 miles experience on a bike. And I never intended to write books, but people kept asking me to do so. So I thought I'd have a go. It's a bit like all aspects of motorcycling, isn't it? You know, if you don't try something, then you don't find out if you can. And dirt roads are the perfect example, aren't they? But I now have four books out, Into Africa, Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns, and Tortius to Totems. And all of the books have got free worldwide delivery from an organization called The Book Depository. And uh, they're all on Kindle, and they're all for download from Audible and iTunes as audiobooks. So I hope you get a chance to um, click into one of those, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks very much. Now, Sam, I have to say that um, I, I, as far as book reading, I wasn't the type to sit down and read travel books before. But And I'm not just blowing smoke here either, Sam. I came across into Africa and I thought, I'll give it a go. Um, that drew me from one book to the next to the next until I was done your fourth one. And then, as you know, <laughs> I'm asking you, when are you doing another book? So um, I just want to throw in, you know, my, uh, my vote of confidence, my um, experience of reading your books and um, fantastic story. It really does draw you from one to the other. So well done with the books. And if, if anyone was wondering what it's like to read, take my word for it. You know, you're, you're not going to go wrong here. Oh, thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Okay, Shirley, what do you have? I don't have any plugs, Jim, but I'd just like to tell you it's still dark here. <laughs> Nothing like getting an early start on the day. Brian, what have you got? <laughs> oh, just a couple of things. Um, with this um, lockdown that we're going through at the moment, that wall-to-wall ride that I plugged last time, we're not sure whether we're going to go ahead with it or not. But if people register, they're making a donation to Legacy. 
So um, even if um, we can't go ahead with the ride, I'm encouraging people to please, if you're that way inclined, don't forget the the people that need money for for legacies. Um, we will um, make sure every red cent goes to legacy. Um, even though in these hard times, we've had over a thousand people register for the wall to wall now, and it's eighty five dollars a registration. So um, that's a fantastic effort, but. Um, we can always do with a little bit more to help um, kids, widows and widowers out um, who really need it. So um, that's my plug. And don't forget, MotoGP is back. Woohoo! Mm. Well, sorry, Brian, the, the wall-to-wall ride, the website? Uh, it's wall-to-wallride.com. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll send you the link, mate. Yep, yep, definitely. It's, it's a movable feast, Jim. Every time you think uh, you can make a plan in Australia, they close another border. Brian was meant to be riding to the Northern Territory next month thinking, yep, we'll be able to go into New South Wales. Oh, no, we can't. Uh, well, maybe the New South Wales people can get into the Northern Territory. Uh, no, they can't. So mm. you can't make any plans here at the moment. Just yeah, you I- think everything's going hunky-dory and then everything shuts down again. I heard that. I was talking with uh, someone just recently. They were mentioning about Brian's trip was cancelled. Because, Brian, you mentioned that trip last last episode, didn't you? I think you were getting it. This is the one where you're going to ride an old bike? Um yeah, well, yep, that was, was cancelled. That, that was cancelled, the ton-up run, which was what the 750 Honda was for. Uh, that's where you and your motorcycle have got a total over 100 years of age. Right. Um, so um, Greg could have ridden last year's model, really. But um, oh. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Greg. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, that was cancelled because we couldn't get through. Um, and now the ride to Uluru um, has been cancelled. Um, we'll just – by year, and for everyone out there, just stay safe. You know, uh, just take it easy and plan and plot and scheme for your um, good rides when we can get out of this. Yeah. There is one good thing from lockdown, Jim. What's that? We've seen a photo. Uh, it's it's uh, going viral here in Australia of your prime minister and his lockdown haircut, or his lockdown. I haven't had a haircut. <laughs> oh, I, I've missed this scandal. <laughs> I, again, oh, haven't following the news much. Has he been getting haircuts and he's not supposed to have been? Is that what it was? No, 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 exactly no. He hasn't. He hasn't had a haircut. And my goodness gracious me! Put him up against Scott Morrison, our prime minister, and I'll tell you which one's the dishiest. And it ain't Scott Morrison. <laughs> Easy old girl. I don't know what kind of politician he is, but he looks very cute with his long hair. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell him when I talk to him tomorrow. No, good Thank you. Daddy. <laughs> Brian, um, just, just going back to what you said then, um, it's, it's just resonated with me because um, a lot of charities are really, really struggling um, during these times, aren't they? And one of the things that I've noticed quite a lot on social media is how many motorcyclists are getting their fingers out and setting up um, different ways to raise money for for the charities. You know, the opportunity shops and things like that, they're just not getting any trade at all. And yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, So yeah, good on you for mentioning that because we motorcyclists have got big hearts as a rule, haven't we? And it's it's really nice to see how people are pulling out and finding alternative ways to help. Yeah, that's that's true, Sam. We've had a double whammy here because we had those terrible bushfires that went through all the little country towns and villages, which we often go riding to. And yeah. you know, I, I know heaps of clubs that were planning rides to spend overnight in places. Uh, they were saying to their, their, their people, 
don't uh, take food and you know make sure you book a cheap hotel, spend a bit of money. These people need a need a hand up, and we're all planning to do that. And then we get locked down. But you know we, we'll get out of it, and um, that's what I said. Keep planning and scheming, and um, get ready to go when the the weather gets better and um, the sky will always be brighter um, in a month or so. Dreams are where adventures begin. Amen to that. All right. Thanks very much, everyone. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everybody. Take care, everybody. Bye. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells at his website at gramfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Thank you.